That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Wirecard's former CEO has been arrested. Microsoft pulls out of the other streaming wars by shutting down Mixer. Some analysis and additional details about yesterday's WWDC news. There's a new king of the supercomputers, and there's also a new king of the tech companies winning in the post-COVID-19 era. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. I sort of had a sneaking suspicion that this was coming. We all did, probably. Former Wirecard CEO Marcus Braun has been arrested on suspicion of false accounting and market manipulation. So that missing 1.9 billion euro, I guess the authorities now suspect it never actually existed. Quote, The arrest is the latest rapid-fire blow for the company at the center of what appears to be Europe's largest fraud in years. The company began to unravel last week when its auditors said they couldn't verify the money existed. Mr. Braun's lawyers didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. Mr. Braun, who turned himself in to police late Monday, is accused of, quote, inflating Wirecard AG's sales volume with fake income, end quote, according to the prosecutor. The probe centers on Wirecard's use of so-called third-party acquirers, which supposedly process payments on behalf of Wirecard to present a false picture of the company's health. Prosecutors said he was also under suspicion of making the company more attractive to investors and customers than it actually was, and possibly cooperating with other perpetrators, end quote. And see, that's why I'm rushing to cover this story. I'll admit that I was not at all familiar with Wirecard before about a week ago, but European listeners to the show have rushed to educate me on how Wirecard was not only one of the biggest fintech startups of the last few years, but also one of the assumed tech success stories in Europe over the last few years. So this is actually a pretty huge story. Imagine if one of the biggest fintech entrepreneurs in America was under suspicion of alleged accounting fraud. As Bloomberg Opinion tweeted, quote, The question now isn't just whether Wirecard can survive, but whether it should, end quote. Remember the other streaming wars? Remember Mixer, Microsoft's Twitch competitor, which made headlines not too long ago for paying high-profile game streamers huge sums of money to jump over to their platform from Twitch in the hopes that their hordes of fans would join them and watch them game over on Mixer. Reportedly, that dude... Tyler Ninja Blevins got somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to $30 million from Microsoft just to jump ship to Mixer. Yeah, well, Microsoft has announced it is shutting Mixer down completely on July 22nd, and it will move all partners and gamers on the platform over to Facebook gaming. In fact, Microsoft will sell all the domain names and trademarks relating to Mixer to Facebook but will still retain the IP rights to Mixer technology, quoting The Verge. 
Microsoft has struggled to reach the scale needed for Mixer to compete with Twitch, YouTube, and even Facebook Gaming, which has led to today's decision. We started pretty far behind in terms of where Mixer's monthly active viewers were compared to some of the big players out there, says Phil Spencer, Microsoft's head of gaming, in an interview with The Verge. I think the Mixer community is really going to benefit from the broad audience that Facebook has through their properties and the abilities to reach streamers in a very seamless way through the social platform Facebook has, end quote. Microsoft's choice to partner with Facebook is clearly a strategic one that's also related to broadening the appeal of its upcoming xCloud game streaming service and its overall gaming efforts. Microsoft will work closely with Facebook to bring xCloud to Facebook gaming, allowing viewers to click and immediately play games that people are streaming. It's a vision that's very similar to Google's ambitions with Stadia, but Mixer has lacked the scale and viewership to truly deliver this more broadly. Microsoft recruited exclusive streamers like Ninja and Shroud with big deals, but they haven't been enough to get more people using the service over rivals. Ninja, Shroud, and other top streamers are now free to rejoin Twitch or stream on Facebook Gaming. Microsoft faced a decision between ditching Mixer, selling it off, or even investing more money in it without a guarantee it would hit the scale it needs to compete. It wasn't as much about return on sell, it was about finding a partnership that was the best thing for the community and streamers, explained Spencer. We think this is it, and it gives us a great place to launch more xCloud content and give gamers the ability to play from there, end quote. Microsoft has talked about reaching 2 billion gamers with its vision for xCloud, but Mixer wasn't in a strong enough position to help achieve that goal. When we think about xCloud and the opportunity to unlock gameplay for 2 billion players, we know it's going to be critically important that our services find large audiences, and Facebook clearly gives us that opportunity, says Spencer, end quote. No word on when xCloud will eventually show up in Facebook gaming, but since xCloud is launching later this year broadly as part of Xbox Game Pass, and this tie-up for scale is clearly the strategic key to all of this, I don't think we'll have to wait very long. There's a new king of the hill when it comes to supercomputing. The Japanese supercomputer Fugaku has been rated as the world's fastest, having apparently carried out 2.8 times more calculations per second than what is now the world's second fastest supercomputer, the IBM system at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee. Quoting the New York Times, Fugaku, another name for Mount Fuji, required some lofty spending. The six-year budget for the system and related technology development totaled about $1 billion, compared with the $600 million price tags for the biggest planned U.S. systems. The machine may also make waves because of its computer chips. Fujitsu, Riken's partner in developing Fugaku, chose to design processors using the basic technology at the heart of billions of smartphones. It licensed designs from Arm, a company long based in Britain that is now owned by the Japanese conglomerate SoftBank. By contrast, most supercomputers use microprocessors that evolved from the chips that Intel and advanced micro devices first sold for PCs. The most powerful machines have been accelerated using more specialized chips, such as the NVIDIA graphics processors used to run video games and, more recently, artificial intelligence applications. ARM licensees have tried for years to gain a foothold in data centers without much success, but the cloud service operated by Amazon has begun aggressively promoting ARM-based offerings. Christopher Berge, 
senior vice president of ARM's infrastructure business, predicts more gains in high-performance computing. For one thing, the longtime supercomputer maker Cray, recently bought by Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, plans to sell systems based on Fujitsu's ARM-based chips, end quote. Everything's coming up ARM these days, isn't it? ARM. It's not just for power efficiency anymore. It's for power full stop. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance, so literally no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com slash techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash tech meme. ZocDoc.com slash tech meme. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. And step aside, Zoom. There's a new king of the COVID-19 era. For a long time, Zoom was the technology story of the pandemic, but it is now no longer the best performing tech stock since the pandemic struck. Quoting CNBC, that distinction now belongs to Fastly, which went public about a month after Zoom last year. Fastly shares climbed 15% on Monday to $73.27, following last week's 36% surge. They are now up 222% since the market's peak on February 19th, outperforming Zoom, which is up 159% over that stretch. Fastly's technology helps consumers more rapidly view and retrieve digital content. 
Its customers include e-commerce software provider Shopify, music streaming service Spotify, and messaging app Slack, which are all seeing usage spikes with so many people working remotely. Some analysts are starting to see Fastly as one of the top technology winners from the accelerating trend toward working from home and staying at home. Quote, its customers are a lot of the next generation bleeding edge tech companies said Rishi Jaluria, an analyst at DA Davidson who recommends buying the stock. Quote, it's the combination of a company with really strong fundamentals and everything executing really well. And at the same time, I think momentum is building on that, end quote. By way of translation, basically, you can think of Fastly as a next generation CDN or a content delivery network. So their competitors would be companies you're probably familiar with, like Akamai and Cloudflare. China has officially launched its final satellite to complete its global navigation system called Baidu, which is a rival to the U.S. government-owned GPS system. This is from CNBC. Experts previously told CNBC that Baidu will help China's military stay online in case of a conflict with the U.S., but the launch is also part of Beijing's push to increase its technological influence globally. The launch of the final satellite, which was broadcast on state media channel CGTN, was deemed a success at 10.15 a.m. Beijing time. It was the second attempt to complete the navigation network after a previously scheduled launch was postponed due to technical issues, according to Baidu's official website. Plans for China's own system took shape in the late 1990s, and the first version of Baidu was in service by the year 2000, providing coverage for satellite-based services to China. The second iteration was completed in 2012 and provided services to the Asia-Pacific region. This third version, which is now completed and which consists of 30 satellites, will mean the Baidu network now has global coverage, end quote. Let's end today by taking preliminary stock of everything that happened at WWDC yesterday. First, as often happens on these days, more news tends to trickle out even after the keynote event, since not everything can be addressed in the keynote. And there are, of course, tons of other sessions going on all week. But this is pretty big news for users and also from the whole Apple anti-competitive angle. Word dropped late yesterday afternoon that Apple quietly announced that with iOS 14 and iPadOS 14, you will now be able to change the default email client and default web browser on your devices. Quoting Alex Hearn in The Guardian, who also picks up one other detail I missed yesterday, but the company is retaining one limitation. iOS web browsers still need to be built on top of Apple's own rendering engine, a technological layer that determines how a web page is processed on the device. Apple's HomePods, the beleaguered smart speakers first released in February 2018, are also opening up, with third-party music services such as Spotify allowed on the devices for the first time. Owners have been able to play music from other services with a clunky workaround involving Apple's AirPlay 2 standard, but direct voice commands have been limited to Apple Music, end quote. Then, friend of the show, Federico Vitici, caught this one, quote, iOS 14 comes with support for sound recognition in accessibility. Your phone can now listen for specific sounds, a baby crying, smoke alarm, water running, etc., and notify you, end quote. And Jason Snell followed up on that little nugget that I noticed yesterday. On these new Macs coming with Apple-made silicon, 
they will be able to run iOS apps natively. So developers would be able to take their existing iOS apps and just put them in the Mac App Store. Quoting Jason, On one level, this is great news because there are iOS developers who will never be bothered to build Mac apps and now can make their apps available on the Mac, albeit in a weird app wrapper that doesn't feel like real Mac apps. But on another level, it calls into question the very existence of Mac Catalyst. While some developers will put in the extra work to make their iPad apps into proper Mac apps, some will decide that it's not worth the trouble since their iPad apps will run just fine on macOS. So far as I can tell, Apple has decided that it's not going to strong-arm developers into doing the work to support the Mac. Maybe it's confident in the powers of Mac Catalyst, or maybe it realizes that some developers are just not going to care about the Mac, and it's better to lower the standards of what a proper Mac app should be in order to get those apps on the platform. The idealist in me says this is a terrible idea, and that it will just lead to developers abandoning the Mac and just shoveling their iOS app onto the platform. If you think Mac Catalyst apps are weird, wait until you're running pure iOS apps that have made no attempt to appear even remotely Mac-like. The optimist in me says there will always be good Mac apps, but there are also a lot of great iOS apps, and being able to run them makes my Mac more useful and relevant. The truth is probably that the future of the Mac is as a pro version of iOS and iPad OS. It'll run more or less every app that's available on the iPhone and iPad, but it'll also run traditional Mac software. Over time, the distinction between iPad apps and Mac apps will begin to fade away entirely, and the Mac will just become a keyboard and trackpad mode of the iPad, end quote. Which sounds not great to me, but maybe I'm an old fuddy-duddy that wants my computer to be a grown-up computer that is grown up from the ground up, but, you know. And in his newsletter this morning, Dieter Bone says, look, the iPadification, at least, of the Mac is clearly inevitable, as Christina Warren tweeted last night. So, in the future, the difference between an iPad Pro and a MacBook Pro is basically going to be a touchscreen and Xcode. Got it, end quote. But here's Dieter's take. There is a way to read a nightmare scenario into all this complexity. It's a world where there's no such thing as Mac-like anymore because the Mac will have evolved to support so many different ways of making apps and so many disparate user interfaces that it'll basically be, well, Windows. In that reading, the dream, the original dream of the Mac is at risk. The dream of a graphical user interface that's beautiful, predictable, and fun. One that's consistent across all apps so you don't have to relearn your keyboard shortcuts. One that's elegant because it's so easy for developers to make apps that feel like they fit. I'm not having that nightmare. Not because I think that we're not looking at a future with a bunch of different kinds of apps on the Mac, but because I'm just not worried about there being a bunch of different kinds of apps on the Mac. I am willing to trade a little bit of complexity for all the extra capability the Mac provides. It is, as the old Steve Jobs saying goes, a truck. Trucks are designed to haul stuff. I'm also not worried about the original dream of the Mac. Someday, all this confusion will be resolved and things will feel consistent again. Given the design direction Big Sur has taken and where the app winds are blowing, my money is on that consistency coming from an iOS Catalyst takeover, for better or worse. The original dream of the Mac hasn't gone away. You can buy a product today with a graphical user interface that's beautiful, predictable, fun, and consistent. It's called an iPad. End quote. Hey, if any of you signed up for that Collision From Home conference which is going on right now, today. 
In fact, all of my sessions that I did for that conference drop today and tomorrow. So if you signed up, you could listen to me talk to folks like Jessica Lesson of The Information. I also did a chat with friends of the show, Stephen Levy and Olivia Salon. And I did a podcast interview with Brittany Kaiser, who you might know from that Cambridge Analytica documentary that's on Netflix. Check all that out if you're so inclined. A virtual tech conference. Such is life at the moment, I guess. Talk to you tomorrow.